This is Way Family Church. You're listening to our sermon podcast. We apologize for today's audio quality as we've been experiencing technical difficulties. We hope you would still be able to benefit from today's sermon in Ecclesiastes. If you'd like to learn more about us or would like to contact us, you can do so by visiting our website at www.wayfamily.church. Will you bow your heads and come with me to the Lord in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord Jesus, for this time. Father, we just can't thank you enough for the privilege that it is to come here in your name, to come and open up your word, Lord Jesus, to hear from you. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us today. Lord, thank you, Father, for already just revealing yourself to us. We pray that you would continue to do that, Father. Help us have prepared hearts, Lord Jesus. He who has ears, let him hear. We ask this in your name. Amen. All right. Well, have you uh, noticed that the more you get older, or maybe maybe it's just me or some of us, you know, that the older that you get, you start watching movies and you kind of get moved by them a lot more than you used to. Oh man, I get so emotional now. Like I've I've been getting emotional uh, with like shows that I don't think I think it would be embarrassing if I told you. Like when my daughter was younger, she used to watch things like Sophia the First and My Little Pony. I would like sit with her and be like, "That was so beautiful," <laughs> you know. And and it's just it's this is the ugly feeling to feel like, oh my goodness, I'm being stirred by these cartoon characters. Well, last Friday, last Friday I saw a Disney short. Have you you seen those Disney shorts? Man, one of them got me. So I have to tell you about it because it's like perfect for what I'm about to talk to you about. It's called The Feast. I don't know if you remember The Feast. It's about a little French bulldog, this little guy right here. You see, what happened was this little guy was out on the street, and he was hungry, and he was foraging for food, and he was looking for something to eat, and then this guy finds him and offers him some food. And so he takes him home, and then what happens is he puts a dog bowl down and fills it up with dog kibble. And the little dog, his name's Winston, by the way, he just buries his face in the kibble. He's so happy to have it. And he's so delighted. He's like, wow, this is so delicious. And you see him just going nuts, you know, with the kibble. And then eventually you kind of see the story progressing. And the owner starts putting in some leftover food, like from the table. And so you see bacon and eggs going in there. And so the little dog lights up. Wow. Now, I have a little dog who's tried people food. And ever since he's tried people food, he hates kibble. You know, he'll, he'll only go to it as a lot, like, I'm actually starving now, I need to eat something. But this little dog tries bacon and eggs, and it's just mind-blowing. And so you kind of see the story progressing, and then the owner feeds him more of the table food. Before you know it, the little dog himself is sitting at the table. And now he's just feasting on people food. There's no more dog food. Forget it. In fact, you can see that this little dog has got it down. During football games, he would sit himself right in front of the TV because he knew if there was a touchdown, the food would run his way. He knew it was all about him. He knew what to do to get the food. And I'm thinking, okay, let's see what happens. But then something interesting happens. His owner falls in love with a waitress at a restaurant. And so now he's in a relationship. And this, this, this lady, this girlfriend, I think she might have been a vegetarian. Kids, correct me if I'm wrong, but they started eating only healthy food. And it seems like she put the dog back in his place. 
And so all of a sudden, instead of bacon and eggs and all that good stuff, it's like a Brussels sprout and it's garnished with a green. And he's looking at it like it's the most evil thing you've ever seen. Like, what's going on here? Where's the good stuff? And so they start eating healthy, and he's highly offended by it. And then it's back to the kibble. And so you see him there, and he's looking at the kibble. That bowl, the same bowl, the same kibble that he once really just was so grateful for. He was so content with it before. Now he looks at it with despise and says, how dare you feed me this stuff? Like just so offended by it. You know what I mean? And so the story progresses, but then an unfortunate thing happens. This owner breaks up with the girlfriend. And immediately he opens up the fridge and he starts binge eating. And so here comes the junk food again. And little Winston is happy as happy it gets. But then he notices something. His owner is just not happy. He starts realizing that life is more than what I can get for myself. And he realizes that this guy is just so miserably sad. And so he has an idea. He runs away. And of course, naturally, the owner chases him. And he runs to where the girlfriend works. And so there's, they make up. They're reconciled, whatnot. And this time, they're back together, back to the healthy food. But Winston now is content with his kibble. He's, he's thinking, as long as they're happy, I'm happy. I'll be fine with the kibble. It's not the greatest thing, but oh well. right? And so I'm thinking, I'm going to share this with you guys today. But the whole time, I'm like, oh, so beautiful. <laughs> you know? It's like, it, I'm just so moved by it. But... <laughs> Here's, here's, here's the thing. It's easy, I think, to resonate with this story because uh, I think we all agree that life is not all about stuff. I think it's easy for us to say that, especially if we've lived a few days and realize, man, I've chased stuff, and still I'm just discontent. Life is not all about stuff. Stuff will never satisfy us, but a meaningful relationship would. It brings some kind of sense of satisfaction. In fact, friends do, families do. It's, when Thanksgiving's coming up, it's not actually about the food, but the people that you spend it with. You realize that meaningful relationships matter more than stuff. And contentment with what we already have is so much better than to think of the things that we don't have. And that's something that I think that the Lord's speaking to us about today is, hey, what has he already blessed us with? You see, Winston had a nice dog bowl full of food, and he grew discontent with what he had. I think too often we do the same. We live in a very, very blessed country. We have more than the average person around the world, and here we are discontent about everything that we have. In fact, we have too much stuff. You know, just recently we received a uh, donation, a large donation of Pocky. Do you guys know what Pocky is? They're like little biscuits dipped in, you want some Pocky we have over there. There's a little treat, it's a snack. Someone bless us with a lot of Pocky. You know what? It is so much that that quantity has become a burden. We are trying to get rid of it. If anybody wants Pocky, let me know. It is now burdensome to have those cases of Pocky because it's just too much. See, we, we grow discontent. Even an overabundance of things is not necessarily a good thing unless it's Christ. So Proverbs chapter 15, who is Solomon, verse 16 through 17, I think would agree in saying this. Look at this. Pay attention to his words. Better is a little with fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. 
Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fen ox and hatred with it. Isn't that, isn't that true? Yes. If, if you don't know this, you, you're about to find out. Just wait. You know, these relationships, just the fear of the Lord, as we spoke about last week, last week, it's, it's so much better than anything else. It's so important. And so I would say that a modest meal in a loving family is absolutely better than a fancy, expensive, delicious meal eaten in solitude. You know, I lived by myself before. I didn't quite like it. I, I used to eat pizzas, like a full Little Caesars large pepperoni pizza all by myself because I had nothing else to do. It's not fun. You know, it's better to have little and fully enjoy it than to have much and not be able to enjoy it whatsoever. Now, we've recently, we, again, I told you about the large donations, and, and here's the beautiful thing about it is when you only have a little bit, like, let's talk about that Pocky again. If you go to the grocery store, you're supposed to just get a little box. You're able to enjoy it so well. But if you keep coming more and more, you get tired of it, and it just becomes a burden. And so I think the point here is, hey, what do we have? Let's recognize it. Let's come to the Lord in Thanksgiving, and let's really focus on those things that matter above anything else. Now, I think back when I had my first job. When I had my first check, I think it was almost $200. Wow, I felt good about that. You know, a $200 check to me was amazing. It was $200 more than I had before. Today, if my paycheck was $200, I would freak out, right? I would actually probably have an attitude that says, forget it, it's nothing. You might as well not give me anything. You know, that's what happens. And then I remember thinking in my 20s too, if I get to a salary of such and such dollar amount, then I'll be good, I'll be set, I'll be content. And then what happens is you get to that number and you realize that didn't work. It's not what I thought it was gonna be. You know what I mean? And so it's a constant chasing of after something, after everything, which takes us back to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. The preacher, the teacher is teaching us of the meaninglessness of life. How everything under the sun is just a chasing after the wind. It's hevel is the word he uses in the Hebrew. It is a vapor. It is like trying to grasp something that is literally ungraspable. It's vapor, smoke, etc. And so we're back to this idea because here's the fact of the matter. We need to understand something that our hearts are fickle and they pull us away from contentment to craving more and more and more. That's life under the son. And this is the whole point that Solomon, the preacher, is trying to make. We have to look beyond this world because this world will never satisfy us. Nothing in this world will ever bring us full contentment, true contentment. We may experience contentment here and there, happiness here and there, but everything is so fickle and fading. It is here today and gone tomorrow. It is hevel is what the preacher says. So, in Ecclesiastes, because we look at actually several passages here in, in chapter 4, chapter 5, and chapter 6, Solomon, the preacher, exposes the vanity of seeking meaning and satisfaction, specifically in money. We're going to talk about money today. Woo! Sermon's about money. Awesome. Instead, he says, or he calls us to, to be content and to rejoice in the things that we already have. Today's sermon title is this, Money is Meaningless Without Jesus. Work is meaningless without Jesus. What else? 
Our toil is meaningless without Jesus. Wisdom is meaningless without Jesus. Everything's meaningless without Jesus. Money is also meaningless without Jesus. And so we're going to find out why. So instead of trying to find satisfaction in money and possessions, we must find it in Christ and his gifts. And I would say, if you're going to take anything from today, that. Instead of trying to find satisfaction in money and possessions, we must find it in Jesus Christ and his gift. So first, let's look into what Solomon says as to why money is meaningless without Jesus. The first point that I like to make is this. Pursuing satisfaction in money is meaningless, he says. We'll read here, and I'll give you seven reasons why. You know, sometimes the Bible tells us, hey, you shouldn't do this. And we're like, why? You know, it's so instinctive for us to know why. Why does the Bible say, why are we instructed in such direction? Now, the preacher, who saw me in this case, actually gives us reasons as to why this pursuit of money is meaningless. And so we're looking to that. But he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10, read along with me, he says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also, this also is vanity. Now, focus on that word love there. It's very important. It says, he who loves. This word love is to have a deep affection for as you would a dear person, a dear, a dear loved one. In fact, the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of this Hebrew text, um, uh, translate this word, this word as agapao, which is synonymous with agape. In other words, he who really loves money is what he's saying. He who has a deep affection from, like, I've got to have the money kind of uh, relationship with money, you will never be satisfied. And so we have to understand that Solomon is not saying that it is wrong to have money. He's saying it is wrong to love money and, and to, to consider it to be your source of satisfaction in everything in life. Do not love money. Love it more than the Lord, more than anything else in this world. This is where this becomes a sin, an idol. And so if you love money or wealth in this way, then you need to know that the pursuit for satisfaction in this is meaningless. And here are the seven reasons why. According to Solomon, now let's think about who he is briefly. He is a man who truly understands wealth. Solomon was the richest man of his day. No one before him had more than he had. This man knows absolutely well what it's like to live with much. He had the stuff. He had the cash. And he had more than he knew what to do with. And he says it is meaningless. And here's seven reasons why, according to Solomon. Reason number one, as far as pursuing satisfaction in money and its meaninglessness is this. You'll never have enough. That, that's what Solomon says. Uh, again, let's look at verse 10. He says, he who loves money will never be satisfied with money. You'll never have, you'll never have enough. Nor he who loves wealth with his income. It's all vanity. You want more. You want more. And the fact of the matter is, you'll just never have enough. It's like trying to grasp a vapor. That smoke, it is heavy. Now, have you ever wanted something so bad, and then when you finally got it, you enjoyed it maybe for a few hours, maybe a couple days, and then you were just well over it? Yeah, like that happens to me way too often. It's really disappointing. And so the fact of the matter is you think you need something, and once you've attained it, you realize, nah, that wasn't it. it. It really was disappointing. My son used to say when he was a little boy, he would have great expectations for whatever that might be, whether it be an electronic, a toy, or, or a book. Rip off. 
<laughs> like he felt ripped off every time that he really anticipated something just to find out that it wasn't enough. That's not it. That wasn't it. Now, we've done this once or twice with dogs, actually. We've had a dog, we thought, oh, yeah, this is going to be great. And then it's like, oh, this is not what we needed. You know? Now, a reporter once asked Rockefeller if you know who he was. He was, at one point, the most wealthiest man in the, in the world. He asked him, which million that you have earned was your favorite? Which, which million of your lives is your favorite? Rockefeller answers, my next million. Wow. It's like, okay, that gives you a little bit of insight. Here's the fact of the matter is, whether you like it or not, until you experience salvation through Jesus Christ, you'll never have enough of anything except for discontentment. That's the fact of the matter. A lot of people don't recognize this, but those who are saved and are saved indeed, those who have that personal relationship with Christ find that true satisfaction and then nothing else matters. Everything else becomes simply a resource. Nothing becomes that source of satisfaction. Only Christ can fulfill that. Reason number two, you'll attract leeches and vultures. That's kind of a paraphrase of what Solomon says. Look at verse 11. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Now, the New Living Translation translates, translates it pretty bluntly, so I'll put it up there for you guys to read it with the NLT. It says, the more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. <laughs> so what good is wealth except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers? Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> right? So you attract leeches and vultures. In other words, the more you make, the more people want to be with you and try to get a piece out of you. Those are leeches. Vultures, I would say, are those who befriend you and they kind of stick around waiting for something to happen where they can gain from what you have. The more you have, the more you attract leeches and vultures. And if you ask me, that stinks. Yet, it happens. A lot of you guys said it, and a lot of you guys can have already experienced this. If you haven't been the one who's been leeched and vultured on, you've probably been that leech or vulture yourself. You know, it's like there's something about rich people who want to be around who I need to make friends with that guy. Reason number three, you won't sleep well. Solomon says in verse 12, Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. He's saying this. He's saying that the honest, common worker will sleep well, regardless of how much he earns, because he's content with what he has. He's worked. He's learned his age. He goes to sleep. Now, his work sometimes, uh, I would say, provides just enough to have what they need, right? But there's this sense of contentment. Like any time that I work hard on something, sometimes I take the moment, if I ever build a piece of furniture, I will literally take the moment and just stare at it for five minutes and say, that's cool. And then I'm so satisfied and I'm so happy with that work. It's really just about the fact that, man, now I have the thing that I need. Now, I lived in Bakersfield, California. If you don't know where that is, it's oil country. And so there's a lot of men who have a job, they, they call them roughnecks. In fact, they, um, I was at an auto body repair shop one day, and I'm sitting in the waiting room there, and this roughneck walks in, and he's got his big boots, he's dirty, and his hair is everywhere. You can tell this guy just got out of work, and he goes up to the front counter, and he's happy as can be, and the, the clerk says, your car is ready. It is such and such amount. And so he happily pulls out his wallet and he smiles. He's like, I'm so grateful. I'm, thank you so much. And he pays, and it was a good chunk of money. 
and he's just happy, and the, the lady said to him, well, just wait uh, about 20 minutes so that we can get it cleaned up for you, and it'll be ready to go. And he says, that sounds great. I'll take, I'll take a quick nap. Boy, did he mean it. So he put his wallet, he sat directly in front of me, he slouched a little bit, he looked at me, he winked and he went, and literally went, the guy just knocked out. The only other person I've ever seen do that is Matt. <laughs> Hard workers, they just, they, they lay down and they can knock out because they've worked. You know, see this is what, if, have you ever overeaten? You've had too much pizza before bed? Oh, keeps you up, doesn't it? And this is what Solomon's saying. And, and so here's the thing. Wealthy people don't ever sit down and just knock out like that. There's too much going on. Minds are constantly busy. They're constantly thinking and working. They lie awake at night thinking and worrying about deals and money. That's just the nature of it. Even those who aren't wealthy but love money, they think awake at night and thinking and worrying about how they can make more money. So the bottom line is money doesn't bring peace or rest or genuine meaningful enjoyment to life. Christ does that. Reason number four, you'll hurt yourself. What? Look at verse 13. There's a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. In other words, riches held back or hoarded by owners are actually self-harming. It's not actually helpful to a meaningful life. Being stingy with what we have can destroy our families. It can destroy our loved ones. It can destroy our relationships with our loved ones and our families because of workaholism. You know, it can ruin our health because of lack of rest. It can harm our character because sometimes when you're craving money to a degree, you're able to take it from places that you shouldn't. You're, you're totally okay from stealing and robbing people. You know, like uh, 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 there's a parable that's told of Nathan tells David, a parable, a story about a rich man who had a hundred sheep, but he takes the one from the, the man who only had one. Like that ruins character. Wealth and riches can ruin you. You can cause self-harm from being like this. You know, I think of Ebenezer Scrooge. The guy had everything, but nobody liked him. You know, he harmed himself just with the attitude that he had, that stinginess. And the Bible makes it clear that the joyful life is a generous life, not a stingy, not selfish life. Look at Proverbs verse 11, 24 through 25 this time. It says, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessings will be enriched, and whoever waters will himself be watered. This is the promise of the Lord. Ready for reason number five? You'll never be truly secured. Verse 14. And those riches, he says, were lost in a bad venture, and he is a father of a son, but he has nothing in his own hand. Now this, if I look at it, is a description of a man who loses everything in a bad venture. This could have been a result of who knows what, really. But the fact of the matter is that we're never actually secure with what we have. Maybe this person lost it in a recession. Maybe this person lost his wealth through gambling. Maybe it was a bad business deal. Maybe it was uh, just a, 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 a lawsuit that he lost. You, you never know how you're going to lose your fortune. Maybe, maybe he was scammed or robbed. You never know. Th these things can go away. People can take fortune away from you, leaving you empty-handed. So now it says he has nothing left. He has a family and nothing to leave his family. No inheritance, no nothing like that. He has nothing to leave it. Nothing. In other words, have all. 
meaningless. And even, even if there was an inheritance, because not everyone suffers misfortune, you want to know something true? If you're wealthy, by the third generation, wealth is usually gone, 80% of the time. Have you seen professional athletes make millions of dollars? 85% of them go bankrupt after, after they, they finish you know, their, their, their plays or playing or whatever, their, whatever the word is. Yeah, they retire. That's the word I'm looking for. And so Proverbs 23 says this, do not toil to acquire wealth, be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. Ain't that the truth? This leads to reason number six, you'll leave it behind. So even if you have it, and even if you don't go through his fortune, you leave it behind. 15 and 16 says, as he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Again, if we don't suffer any kind of misfortune, we'll die. That's just reality. There's a time for everything, right? From dust to dust. We come from nothing, we will depart with nothing. Paul also emphasizes the importance of contentment apart from money or material possessions in his first letter to Timothy. He's discipling Timothy. Timothy is being prepared to be a leader of the church, and Paul urges the importance of true contentment. It's so important for us to realize and, and, and just really be content with the blessings that we've already have in Christ Jesus. And he says to Timothy, you could read it in 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 7, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we cannot take anything out of this world. This is why you'll never see a hearse with a hitch. I think there's a country song about that. <laughs> Reason number seven, when we pursue satisfaction in money, you'll be a miserable person. Verse 17, Moreover, all his day he eats in darkness and much vexation and sickness and anger. This sounds pretty crummy. This man ultimately does not enjoy life. He has all of the stuff and ultimately for nothing. An image of loneliness, no one to share the abundance of wealth. Man, I'll tell you one thing. When I have the opportunity to share something with my children, with my wife or anybody, it brings me more joy to be able to share that than to actually have the thing itself. You know, this is it. When you don't, when you don't focus on the things that matter, it's just hevel. It's meaningless, and that's what Solomon's saying. In fact, he said up back in chapter 3 that there's a time for everything, including death, and perhaps you're thinking, and be honest with yourself, and be, perhaps you're self-evaluating and you're recognizing that you're kind of guilty of loving money. I'll be the first to say, man, I've been there. I sometimes I'm there, you know, so then what do I do? You know, what's the, what's, what's the antidote for this? There's something else that we need to look to, and I think that it's so beautiful that Solomon provides this insight in his passage. And so here's what the Bible says. We need to put off ungodliness and put on the new man, the new self. So if we're going to put off our love for money, what do we put on instead? Well, there's three things that Solomon referenced to. Meaningful relationships, contentment and joy in what God has blessed us with, and Jesus. That's what we need to put on. So let's look at meaningful relationships really briefly. Look, go to uh, chapter 4, verse 7 through 12. He says this. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches. So... 
that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is a vanity and unhappy business. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, we, one will lift his fellow up. Uh, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will stand, withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. In other words, meaningful relationships are good. The point's straightforward. We're made for community and we're made for meaningful relationships. That doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be a spouse if you're single. It means that friends are good. Family's good. You know what I mean? Meaningful relationships ultimately are very helpful. The Lord has blessed us with this. In fact, think about who God is. He's the triune God. There's unity in who he is. There's a meaningful relationship there in itself. I'll tell you this. We're better together. We achieve more together. We keep ourselves accountable when we're together. We're able to grow together. We're able to help one another. We're able to feed one another like potluck Sundays. You know what I mean? Life is just better. Uh, when we party together, it's better when we have mug swap to steal each other from. You know what I mean? It's just better together. It's better to have those meaningful relationships. That's what makes life beautiful. It's what makes the church rich as well. It's just better. Well, the second thing, the antidote to this stinginess that we may have, this craving for money, would be contentment. Enjoy what the Lord has already blessed us with. You guys are blessed. You guys have more than you even realize sometimes. We need to understand that. We need to be content with that. Look at chapter 5, verse 18. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life and that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God, for he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with the joy in his heart. Folks, when the Lord saved me, it changed my life. When the gospel made sense to me, my past didn't matter anymore. The things that I was chasing didn't matter anymore. All I could think of is him and the enjoyment that I found in him. My relationships improved. My friendships improved. You know, my, my com communion with the Lord improved. This is the thing. This is the gift of God. He's given us Christ. We cannot take that for granted. We cannot make less of what that is. We, we live in this life for a very short time compared to eternity. It is okay for us to enjoy life. It is okay for us to rejoice in the things and the blessings that we've received from God. Our Father, chapter 6 says, There's an evil that I've seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind, a man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing all of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him power to enjoy them. But a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years so that, he, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn, is, or stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good. Do not all go to one place. 
All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage is or has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Look at this, verse 9. Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. Do you know what that means? Better is for you to see the blessing that you have than you looking to see what you don't have and wanting to crave it and feeling like you need that. Yeah, that's what I need. That's what I need. That's what I, that's what I need, and then I'll be happy. The better it is for you to realize, I have what I need. Thank you, Jesus. You know, this is also vanity of striving after the wind when we do that, is what Solomon says. And so the final thing, the final antidote, you know, other than meaningful relationships, noticing our blessings, is Jesus Christ himself. Look at chapter 6. Look at verse 10 through 12. Whatever has come to be has already been named, and it is known that what man is and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity, and what is the advantage to man? No one can dispute with God. No one can say something else would be better than God. It is Jesus who we need, and Solomon points us to this reality. Anything that the Lord has blessed us with can become a source of sin. So we also have to recognize Jesus for who he is and realize that he gives us all of our blessings because we can have the blessing of food, but food can become sinful. We can have the blessing of our possessions, but our desire and our craving and our love for our possessions can become sinful. We can strive for relationships, but even our relationships can become sinful. You know, if, if we disconnect the Lord Jesus Christ from everything that we have, it is vanity. It is meaningless. And so let's not forget who the Lord Jesus is and what he means and the purpose that he brings. And I'll tell you one thing. We will become free. We will be content. We will be what we are actually meant to be redeemed because we live in a broken world. And because we live in a broken world, we're constantly chasing for that solution. And when we chase for solutions apart from Christ, we make our, our brokenness even worse. Those scars get deeper, and there's no solution. Okay, well, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't forget that. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might be rich. Wow. So if the Lord blesses us with riches, with wealth, with whatever, what can we do with How can we leverage that, that people might come to know Jesus Christ? You know, Jesus says in Matthew 25, 40, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of those of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. We have an opportunity to bless the Lord and not be idolaters against him. We have an opportunity. The Lord has blessed us with more than we can even imagine. We need to leverage that for his glory. And here's the fact of the matter. It's never about money. So if you have money, praise the Lord. And if you don't have money, praise the Lord. Because it's not even about money. It's never about money. Amen to that. You know? Because sometimes we stress about it. It's like, I don't have money. You know? But it's never about money. It's all about the Lord. When Paul writes to the church, and I'll leave you with this, he writes to the church of Philippi, a church that was supporting him financially. 
he was out on mission and this church actually cared for him and there was a while where he didn't get any support so it seemed and so he writes this when he does see it and he and he says this and i think it's encouraging not just to them but for us today look at this in philippians chapter 4 10 through 13 he says i rejoiced in the lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me you were indeed concerned for me but you had no opportunity sometimes the fact of the matter is we don't have the cash to be able to bless others it's okay it's not about the money you know it's okay and then he goes on to say not that i'm speaking of being in need and look at this for i have learned in whatever situation i am to be content i know how to be brought low and i know how to abound in any and every circumstance i have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger uh, abundance and need and he says this and read it with me out loud i can do all things through him who strengthens me through christ it's not about money it's about jesus christ and the blessing that we've received in him it's about the salvation that we receive because when we are saved when we know him when we are redeemed by him it doesn't matter whether or not we have money whether or not we have a home whether or not we have possessions this life is so temporary compared to eternity with him and when we're with him we'll be in glory oh man i get pumped about that it's about what we know of jesus it's about him it's all about him and i call you to repentance if you're idolizing this stuff the, the money, you know, I have had to do this over and over and cling to Jesus who is truly, truly your only source of satisfaction and meaning. That's where it's at. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for just encouraging us, Lord Jesus, and the things that sometimes we forget to think about. It's all about you. It's all about what you've already done. Lord, thank you for just the blessings of everything that we have and the, the enjoyment that we find and the things that we have already been blessed with. Lord Jesus, help us look to you that we would leverage everything in our lives for your glory. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for our salvation, Lord Jesus. We pray for those who have not yet experienced it, that you would move mightily in their lives, that they would find that fulfillment that is only found in you. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. amen.